but I'm trying to also help them see a bit that they have value, like their value beyond just being good at a game. Like they inspire people. People want to watch them for their personality and who they are. Welcome to Let's Play by the Gamers, a podcast hosted by actress Kylie Vernoff. Fans know Kylie best as the fiery Susan Grimshaw in Red Dead Redemption 2 and Miranda Cowan in GTA 5. Our series features some of the most informed and exciting people in the gaming industry today. Kylie and her guests discuss careers, gaming, and so much more. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out thegamers.com website to hear exclusive bonus material from each of our guests. Hey, everybody. Okay, on today's show, I got to dive into the world of esports with Brittany Latanzio. Brittany is the senior talent manager at Team Liquid. We discussed her role with the team, what it's like to manage a bunch of 18 to 22-year-old players, prioritizing physical and mental health in esports, how she guides players to stay true to themselves, and so much more. This was a fascinating peek into the industry, and I'm so excited to share it with you. All right, here we go. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm glad I made it to the right time. It's also daylight savings for me, so all the times are messed up. So I'm glad that it, uh, I guessed oh. right. <laughs> oh, no. I know. I saw something about that. I saw that there was like a time change, and I thought, um, I think we're good. I think we're good. Um I got a little confused too with the time zone because you have a Canadian flag next to your name on Twitter. And then I started thinking that was like Canadian Eastern Standard Time for a minute and which is oh. the same as New York. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would have been more convenient. No, I'm I'm Canadian but I live in Europe, so it's uh, confusing sometimes. Yeah. Excellent. I should also tell you that um and maybe tell our listeners that um, normally when I do these interviews, my husband takes the dog out, but my husband actually had an appointment. So that if the dog barks, I'll, I'll just like take a little break and go deal with him and we'll edit it out. <laughs> no, honestly, just bring the dog to the interview. I'm fine with this. Oh, yeah. He is. Love he's, to hear it. <laughs> he's circling around. I have like a booth that I build in my living room out of like a beach cabana and blankets since we're in lockdown and I can't go to a professional booth. So he's literally right. just walking. He's walking circles around it. He really wants to be security. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to have you here today. Um, let's start by you telling me a little bit about your background. Were you always a gamer? Yeah, I think um, I grew up with a big family. I have three brothers and a sister. And so with three brothers, um, a lot of activity around our house. And one of the things we all did together with such a big family was play games. Um, mm -hmm. So whether that was competitive games like Mario Party against each other or just me and my brother, who are the closest in age, were really much into like gaming. So we owned Sega, Nintendos, like everything and PC games as well. And you grew up you grew up in Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm from Canada. And were your parents also interested in gaming or was it just the kids? Um, I think my, my dad is so he's not like the typical if you think of like a parent who you have to help do everything on the computer because they don't understand. Uh, he's not like that. He's pretty tech savvy and I think he always understood gaming or electronics. And so he was kind of understanding of why we enjoyed the novelty of gaming. Um, but 
they, he would try playing sometimes, but I don't think it was his thing. Um, but it kept us like happy and interacting with each other. So I think they were okay with it. I, I think that's so cool. I mean, my daughter has um, the type of parent who doesn't understand anything um, <laughs> with gaming. It was so funny. I've told this story, but when um, when Red Dead was being released, Rockstar actually sent me a code for GTA Five just so that I could kind of get used to playing, mm-hmm. um, you know, a Rockstar game uh, on the PS4. And and I think. I guess, oh, well, it's two years since the game was released today. So I think that my daughter was 12 and I literally had to have her help me play GTA 5. And it was so inappropriate, but I couldn't do it without her. Oh, no. What was a good like bonding moment or family moment? Maybe It really was. And actually, uh, you know, I was sort of intimidated by playing even my game. And I think that... The fact that Lucy, even though she wasn't a gamer, but she's just more proficient um, in technology, I think it was like it made it more fun for me to play and less frustrating because it was something that we were learning together. I think gaming can really be like a family bonding experience. And it sounds like you had that growing up. Yeah, exactly. I think it's super cool. Um, Yeah, some of my coolest memories as a kid is just playing games with my brothers or like um, not always competitive games sometimes. I just really enjoy story games, so like the story and the characters and the development and why are they doing these things? And he he would play games like Final Fantasy, which are heavily story driven. Mm-hmm. And it was actually kind of cute because he would wait for me. Like if I was busy, he wouldn't play the storyline until he knew I could come watch. So it was kind of like kind of nice, you know, moment with siblings as well. Yeah, um, that's a nice brother been, you've got. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. He's all right. Yeah. Um, and at what point did you decide that you thought you could imagine a career for yourself in gaming? Or did you always know? Um, it wasn't. So, I mean, when I grew up, the careers in gaming, that I, the only ones I could think of were like actual coding of gaming or creating games or testing games. So mm-hmm. esports, as we know it today, didn't exist as a career option in the West, at least, uh, when I was studying or growing up. Um, so it didn't become a thing until I, I got a bit older and I was finishing up my undergraduate studies. Um, so it was, I guess it's not, I'm not surprised I ended up where I am, but it was def- certainly not something that I set out intending to do. And you went to university in Toronto, right? Yeah, that was my, I did my undergraduate in Ottawa and then I did my master's at University of Toronto. Yeah. Fantastic. So at yeah. what point did you sort of see that esports thing was was growing into an industry where where you could or pursue it or did you fall into it how did you get there yeah i um in 2010 there was a game released called starcraft 2 um it's it's kind of a second part it's like an old older game the first game was called brood war and that was very popular in korea and they had a whole esports scene and mm. when starcraft 2 was released that kind of came into the West as well, like the game as well as the whole esports aspect of it. And I figured out, I found out that, oh, not only is this game really fun, but there's an actual website where people go and they can talk about the game and strategies and, and you can watch professional players practice like live. And I was like, oh, this is super cool. And then I found out about tournaments and competitions and prize pools. So it kind of happened by accident through a, through a you know, parallel to the interest in that game in particular. And then I actually went to my first live event and I was like, oh, it looks like there's a lot of moving pieces here and I would love to be one of them at some point. Um, 
yeah, so we're kind of a bit accidental. So I want to ask about that because I have never been to an esports tournament. Um, I think they look insanely exciting. Um, and yes. and so I want to pick your brain about them a little bit. Uh, what does it feel like there? Like, what are, what is the energy at these tournaments? It's so cool. It's it's hard to explain. It's really different per game, too. A lot of games are different speed and different kind of audience. But it's always electric energy. People are super excited. Even if you come in as somebody who maybe doesn't know anything about particular game that's being played you can always pick up like when something cool is happening or how excited and happy people are to be there mm-hmm. I, I i certainly like hope you get to one because it, you just it's it's exactly like being at a live sports event but people are so much more i don't know passionate about it i feel um, so i watched some in preparing to talk to you and it really did feel like you know, all I could really describe it as in in the States would be like the NFL, where the audience feels absolutely a part of the competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Here, like if, you know, if the quarterback throws a long pass and the receiver just misses it and the entire audience feels let down, like that's what it felt like watching a little bit of of an esports competition. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's it's like audience participation almost. Like you're emotionally invested in it. You become super, even if you're coming to the stadium as not particularly cheering for anybody, or as I said, not knowing, it's really hard not to get wrapped up in that because you really feel the tension in those exciting moments or, you know, the excitement if someone wins. Um, mm. It's super cool. So when events start again, let me know if, if you wanted to come to one. Oh my uh, gosh, see, yes. See if oh, we can get you there. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'm already there. Oh yes, that's so exciting. I would love that. Liquid now, jersey though. You have to come in a liquid jersey. I, 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 w- I wouldn't even <laughs> consider wearing a different jersey. Nice. I promise okay. you. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I may need one now, just in preparation. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so generally, when, when the world is functioning as the world used to function, do you travel with the team? I did, um, but my role is a bit different than when I started at Team Liquid six years ago. Um, but when I was managing teams directly, I did go to every single event with the team. Mm, okay. Um, and the purpose there is just to help when, when they're at an event, they don't want to have to worry about when they have to show up for media day or what clothes they need to wear or um, when they need to bring their gear to be looked at or when they need to do a press interview with somebody. So they have a manager on site who just schedules that all for them. And they just have to worry about showing up at the time that they were told. So so the, the manager almost functions like a handler. Yeah, like being a team handler, um, making sure they're eating, making sure they're getting to bed on time, making their, you know, yeah, wearing the right clothes, the right jersey, promoting the sponsors properly, this kind of stuff, as well as working with the tournament organizers themselves to make sure the playing conditions are optimal for the players. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk more about what you were just saying about making sure that the team eats well and sleeps well and everything because there's this outdated perception by people like me who are new to the world of gaming that think of gamers as like, it, it it being an antisocial uh, activity that they're sitting at home, they're eating chips. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that competitive gamers have to stay like super physically and mentally fit. Yeah. That kind of view that people who play video games are antisocial chip eating weirdos. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> just a bit outdated. Um, it I is. Look at Twitch, all these streaming platforms where you have 
tons of people who are streaming to an audience, interacting with them. Basically no different in my view than joining like a book club or some social club where you're coming together to supplement social interaction with something that people like and enjoy. Um, so if you're like me and you're kind of shy and introverted, introverted um, it's something that you can talk about with new people. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, uh, you, you were going to say more. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. I love that analogy of a book club, that it's something I, I've noticed that especially, I think one of the things with this lockdown is that people who are already in gaming communities already have like a, a way to connect with their social circle. And I think that, you know, I think that we'll see more and more of that as the world is is changing. And so I think you're right. It is incredibly outdated. Um, but but in terms of like how physically and mentally fit the team needs to be, it seems to me like Team Liquid has addressed these issues in like a massive way. I was doing like um, I, I saw something that I think you were um, guiding players into the new facility and it just looks like an like an incredible living space to optimize players' health. And I'm wondering if you can just tell me about that facility and how and how it works with the players. Yeah. So um, I think you're speaking of the one we just opened here in the Netherlands in Utrecht. Yes. Um, yeah. So we have a second one as well. This is our second attempt. Uh, so I think it's useful to contrast it with earlier in esports history, a lot of teams were of the opinion that, hey, the best way to get performance or team bonding is to just shove them all in a house and have them play all day in, in their rooms or like in a basement together and then go upstairs and go to sleep. Maybe they'd be sharing rooms, just spending 24-7 next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of realized through the years that that's maybe not the best approach in terms of mental, mental and physical health. So we've designed these facilities to, as you said, optimize that. Um, so the one in the Netherlands, I think the most important thing is... Um, it has a bunch of spaces where the players can just relax or do other things than compete in their game. So we have the lounge room where they can chill and there's like a plant wall, very cozy and they can play ping pong or they can play rock band or whatever. They have like a, a cafeteria where they eat or can watch streams or watch movies. And is it true um, that, that you have like personal chefs for them? We do. Yeah. So we have chefs who cook three meals a day for them. So they're eating well and we can kind of make sure they're fed and, eating at a, like set times, which is also important, like routine. Um, and I think the other thing is, is that they, when they go into their scrim rooms, they know that as soon as they walk through the door, like this is the place where I work, I focus, this is where I'm listening to my teammates, to my coach, and I'm here to play. And when I leave that room, I can go upstairs and go to sleep and it's completely separate. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to get that disconnect and it's important for their like burnout that they don't feel that they're just on all the time. Because I think a lot of us in in COVID have experienced this where like if your desk is in your sleeping area, it's really hard to to like turn off your work, I guess. Um, It's so true. It is mm -hmm. so true. I've noticed that I I answer emails about work at all times of the day Mm -hmm. where I I didn't used to do that. Mm -hmm. The facility is kind of taking that into consideration and and creating the separation. So they do live near the facility but it's like they have rooms upstairs that are their own places that they can just go and turn off exactly yep and it's very close so they don't have to worry about you know taking a cab or something to get home it's just walking distance so so how much of an edge do you think this investment gives the players 
Yeah, I think um, the mental aspect combined with you mentioned physical, like the meals that we give them. Um, we have like gyms that they're all members of that we pay for the membership for. Obviously now not used. We have like a makeshift one that we kind of assembled. Right, um, but right. That's, no gyms, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, as you, you mentioned earlier, like a lot of gamers are really, athletes are very, um, like very fit. It's super trendy right now to be into fitness. They're motivated by it. They like seeing each other's progress and pushing each other, which is really cool. And I, I think, think that is, it's so fantastic to bring in a health aspect to, yeah. to gaming. Yeah. And I think the edge it gives them is like this holistic mental, physical health approach that we're doing. It really improves their focus, um, their reaction time, their alertness, their communication skills, like the ability not only to communicate with their team, but also like how you're feeling like, oh, this is making me feel like this so that your teammates can understand you better. Team bonding, right? Their posture mm -hmm. is improving. Just these like small things that really make a big difference at the highest levels. I think that um, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I know for me, when I have like a big job, I don't know how much you know about me, but I'm, I'm an actress. And, and when I'm working, I really like to try to get to my dressing room, my trailer, whatever, as early as I can so that I can shut off all outside noise so that when it's mm -hmm. time to work, I'm not inundated with, you know, just everything else, the, the yeah. emails and the texts. And okay, but let's say there's a giant win let's say that they've had a big win what does that celebration look like is there junk food like is there like a grace period <laughs> yeah we don't like deprive them of anything fun we definitely like you know, of course in moderation they, they can have sugar it's a good for them actually you know they, they want to be able to be enjoyable and not feel like okay we just won a huge tournament now we have to go back to practicing and right away we're, we're, we're lenient and we give them breaks and all this stuff it's it's important to have you know, balance in all things. Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. I, I, I was actually, a, I was thinking about you. I know now that we're in COVID, people are, as you said, are like working from home, but it seems to me like you must have to keep all hours available for when mm -hmm. the team needs something. So how do you balance, balance your personal life with such a full plate? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's hard. You're right. Like it's all, you don't, you have so many people that you have to think about. You don't, I don't really ever stop thinking about work, mm -hmm. but I think that's an issue for anybody whose hobby is also their job. So like to avoid sounding like a complete jerk, like if you think of it like an accountant, right? And accounting is very difficult and hard and, and important work. But if you ask an accountant like, Hey, what's your hobby? They're probably not going to be like, Oh yeah, I go home and do some accounting on the weekends. Like it, Whereas <laughs> right. like, if you ask anybody in gaming or like other industries like that, um, they're going to say, well, yeah, my, my hobby is gaming. And then that's really hard to turn off your brain if you're like watching streams or thinking about the game or like, oh, this character just got a patch. How does that affect my team? Like all this stuff. It's really difficult. Um, I think for me, it's important to have I have other hobbies other than gaming just to get away from the screen. Mm -hmm. And like, like you said, like really disconnected, just... <laughs> think about other things for a while. Um, but of course, like compared where I am now to where I was when I just started, it's gotten a lot better, this balance. I think part of it is esports as an industry becoming more um, cognizant of having how important it is to have enough staff to cover all the tasks you need, how important it is to have job descriptions that are like, this is what you're responsible for, how important it is to have, you know, time off 
and then of course from myself to have the discipline to be able to set boundaries like you know don't don't work on weekends anymore or get like in a genuine evaluation of what my priorities are so that I know what to focus on in the time I have at work. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's like both, both things like from the company, but also from, from me, like growing and learning. Yeah. I mean, you are in an industry that is growing right before our eyes. So, you know, it's, it's, I imagine that all those things are coming to you, you know, in real time, like, oh, yeah. I, I can't work seven days a week, I won't be yeah. able to, you know, be at, at the top of my game. And if I don't have any time for myself. Yeah, I mean, just for additional context, like I mentioned, I started six years ago, I took eight months off of esports, I did something else completely different. Because I was, yeah, I was working traveling to all these events we talked about, I think I was home, maybe I was away two weeks of every month. So it was like half of the time on the road, half the time at home. I was like working almost all the time. And I took time off and to try to just like take a break before I like exerted myself too much. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, like this is when I kind of realized like, hey, I need to have more balance because it's not healthy. Um, yeah. I think that is so important and so hard to do. I think that when you step away from something that is maybe um, just becoming too all-consuming and you take a break from it, you can go back to it with a passion. You say, wait, Mm -hmm. that is what I want to do. So how can I do it in a way that... um, uh, that still leaves me uh, having a life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I'm happy. I'm back. I'm back now for a year, just over a year. And I'm yeah, I'm happy to be back. It, I just want to say that it seems like the coolest job on the planet to me. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> to I was me. just talking. To- <laughs> oh Sorry, my gosh. No, no. I just, when you said that I could come to an esports tournament, I literally got like chills everywhere. I was like, <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it is pretty cool. Um, I was just talking to my brother about this yesterday. He's jealous. Oh. I'm sure he is. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I'm jealous. Um, so, so about like your decision to enter back into esports and to and to try to find a way to make it work. I know that you have spoken in other interviews about your background in philosophy and how that mm-hmm. helps you in your job. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little more about that because that really got me thinking yeah me too (laughs) um so yeah philosophy i mentioned i did a i did my master's in philosophy um so that was my original intention i wanted to go into academia and then i kind of fell into esports um but i think how it helps me my job um generally i think social sciences just teach people how to research and how to critical you know critical thinking and analytical skills how to communicate how to present your ideas coherently these are all important things in any field where you're dealing with people as well uh in philosophy i think what's super important is that it really teaches you empathy um and beyond just like logical empathy as in the ability to listen to someone's argument and take it in the strongest possible iteration Mm -hmm. right it's also teaching you empathy as a mechanism that's fundamental to social relation and how we understand the world and, and moral knowledge and things like this. I think that's super important. Yeah. You know, it's occurring to me as we're talking that your players must come from all different mm-hmm. cultures and countries and backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're across now 22 different countries. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're right. Empathy for for understanding that one size doesn't fit all. That that mm-hmm. I'm I'm working with people who have totally different expectations, totally different histories, totally different priorities. Yeah. I think it's important dealing with people, but like as you mentioned, backgrounds, experiences, uh, cultures, these all play a role in in working with how, you know player personality and how they're how they interact with you. Mm-hmm. I think. Like one example is um, I had a player who got asked to do a podcast kind of like this one. And they're like, oh, we'd really like him. And I said, you know, he's a bit shy and he's, he's not really sure of himself. But, you know, let's partner him with another player who's quite good with them. I know the hosts are very professional and very like they'll be good with him. They'll get him to talk. It'll be comfortable, good, safe setting. Yeah. And he was like, OK, I'll do it. And then like three days before he wrote to me, like, I can't, like, Brittany, I'm so sorry. I, I cannot do it. Like I'm having anxiety. I can't sleep. It's like affecting, like, I just cannot do it. I'm so nervous. And while it's easy to just be like, either, you know, too bad you're doing it or like, okay, it's fine. Never mind. I think mm-hmm. the kind of like empathy that I've learned is more like compassionate in a way. Like I, I heard him, I understood from his perspective why he was feeling this way. I felt like, you know, I'm feeling anxious doing this myself so I can understand, like, why he feels this way and then trying to help him. Like, can we, you know, explore, like, why do you feel anxious about it? How can we make him more comfortable? And he came up with a solution that, you know, we would work on the things that he was most nervous about so that in small bits so that next time, you know, he gets this opportunity, he can he can feel more comfortable. Um, yeah, it's that's, kind of interesting. Yeah, that's fantastic. You must get very close to the players, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, they've become like my children, basically. Like, I don't have kids, but they're like my kids. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. It sounds like, you know, in a very real way, you're helping them navigate this world mm-hmm. in a way that is is safe, a way that they know that they are supported. And, um, and I imagine a lot of them are young. Yeah, like I think between 18 and 22 are normally about the ages that uh, oh players are professional, yeah. You're managing a whole bunch of 18 to 22 year olds. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is, that's that's not nothing. And do you, do you have therapists on site for 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 things like anxiety? We have mental coaches. Um, mm-hmm. So we have three now that are on retainer. Basically, they work with the teams. What is a mental coach? So they focus more on um, like how, like say, anxiety how that would impact your focus and how you play a game, for example. Or if you have things like, um, you know, you need to communicate the way you feel to your team. How do you communicate that in a way that's constructive and healthy to, you know, keep your team performing at optimal level? Mm-hmm. So it's focusing a little more on the competitive aspect and how these kind of anxiety and things affect your competitive play. But it's quite useful for them, I think, just dealing with it in general, um, yeah, because it sounds to me like, I mean, anxiety is such a beast. I've struggled mm-hmm. with it some in my life. And it really, it robs you of your joy, that that level of anxiety. Or, uh, that's been my experience, that when I've had mm-hmm. anxiety, it can really rob me of the joy. I like this idea of turning it into uh, a tool for focus. Yeah. Yeah, and they're very good at it, um, the, the mental coaches we work with. so And the players are feel very happy with it and very like it's useful to them um which is important so in in very real ways you're now dealing with a roster of people that have a certain amount of fame and i'm sure that 
a lot of people want to get involved with them in terms of marketing. And I know Mm -hmm. that part of your job involves helping players choose how they want to express their own personal brands. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what I do for a living, that does come up a lot as well. There are, there are certain things that just for my own personal reasons, I don't want to uh, do a commercial for whether it's a a product that goes against some belief system of mine or a political movement. Um, But there's, there's, there's fluid things in there. There are, there are ways that I can work with my managers to say, well, if I, if I take this job, um, I'll, I'll donate to a cause that I believe in with a certain amount of the money, right? There are ways (laughs) that you can, can, um, you know, can can continue to do what you love and not shut yourself down to opportunities, but also stand on your own two feet about what you believe in. And I'm wondering um, how, how you how you guide the players in a way that makes makes that marketing stuff feel authentic to their values. Yeah, that's that's a big part of what we're trying to do in talent management for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of players just when they get signed. Um, they don't really think about this. They just think, oh, Team Liquid assigned, assigned me because I'm a great, whatever, Dota player. And so I'm just going to come. I'm going to play Dota, and that's all I'm going to think about. Okay, wait. You have to tell me what Dota is. I'm so embarrassed <laughs> that I don't know. But tell me what Dota stands for. Does it stand for something? Defense of the Ancients. Oh, that's a very cool name. So you're... Like your core, like your nexus, like uh, in League, it's called a core. That's called an ancient in Dota. So you're defending the ancient. That's that's what it stands for. Perfect. Okay. So yeah. go ahead. I interrupted yeah. you. So let's no say worries. people are, they come to play that game. Yeah. They think, okay, I'm here. I'm really good at Dota. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm just here to play Dota, which is to an extent true because, you know, we want them to be competing and that's what we want them to focus on. But I'm trying to also help them see a bit that they have value like their value beyond just being good at a game. Like they inspire people. People want to watch them for their personality and who they are. Um, and this helps them. Like we mentioned the age being 18 to 22 ish. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you're 22 and beyond, like you, you have, can have some more stability in your future. If you think about these things and really work on them because you know, you become like a, like a beacon in the community for, for certain things. And that, that's really useful. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it gives you them. longevity in a way past. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So you like, if I help them to kind of identify their voice, right, make it personal connection. Um, like, what do you care about? What are you motivated by? You know, what changes do you want to see in the world? What kind of is your personal mission statement? These things that like define who you are and what you want to represent. And then think about causes or products, the way they resonate with this or don't. Um, so I think maybe it's something similar in your case, like where you're taking, like, why do I want to do this? Not just like, why does this particular product appeal to me or why do I think it's important? Mm-hmm. So I think once you've thought about that, it's a lot easier to identify which, which causes you want to kind of associate yourself with. It's, it's so true. And it's such a personal decision. I, mm-hmm. you know, it's there. I, I think it's incredible that you're able to meet these players where they are. It sounds like you're mm-hmm. able to meet them where they are and have these one on one connections so that so that rather than imposing on them, oh, you want a I don't know, a sports drink, you want, you know, something like that, because yeah. that will have longevity and it can make money. But you really want them to find a way that they can feel good about what it is that they're supporting. Yeah, and it's authentic. It's more, it re- resonates with them. Um, in, in terms of, uh, I think you had mentioned something about um, political movements or things mm-hmm. beyond just products, maybe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so also just helping them to see like, you know, it's think, what is it? Think globally, act locally. So what can you do to help make changes in your immediate surroundings? It's not always about just, you know, okay, I'm going to raise money and give money to this. Sometimes there are other things you can do or encourage people who, you know, admire you to do that can make an impact as well. So I'm trying to help. I try to help them understand like the bigger picture of things. Right. That makes like, sense. Yes. I mean, I'm very upfront about my my political leanings on my social media. But when I'm when I'm speaking to fans, I just encourage them to use their voice to vote. I don't mm-hmm. have to take sides. Um, yeah. You know, you, you can encourage people to go find what's important to them and just work work towards making that materialize. Yeah, and I think that's it's so much more helpful um, because it's very easy it's when you when you see these issues or see. Um, kind of on the grander scale, how things are going to shit. Basically, it's very easy to be like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't do anything. What am I supposed to do? But it's paralyzing, it down, right? It's yeah, like exactly. paralyzing. Yeah. Paralyzing you. Yeah. And if you break it down into like, okay, I can't do everything, but I can do some things and these is in my control. So let me do this and encourage people like me also to do this and, and it hopefully affects some sort of change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I, it, I mean, if you don't mind my saying so, it sounds like they are incredibly lucky to have you there. It sounds like, oh, thank you. <laughs> really, thank you. I can oh. hear how much this is um, a, a passion for you, that this, I, I can see why it's hard for you to leave your job at home, because you're dealing with people that you care about. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. And uh, yeah, so it's so hard to turn off, because it's like, I worry about them, like they're, you know, my kids or family or whatever. Um Yeah. Yeah, they are. In in a very real way, they are family to you. So yeah. how how does Team Liquid recruit? How do they find their players? Um we have a big big team who are all experts in different games like Dota and other games. Um and mostly like I know of, what that is now. You do. <laughs> yeah. You pass the quiz. Um De- defend the defend the angel. Ah! Ancient. ancient ancient yeah perfect okay. yeah i got it okay um keep going i, I yeah I, I was just <laughs> <Okay>. testing you <laughs> no good um yeah so we have like most of these competitive games have an internal ranking system so you're always when you play a competitive game you're playing against people of your similar skill and this is all visible so an easy one easy way is to see the ranking of different people and normally we want people who are at the top top ranks but beyond that, it's also how well do they fit into the team? Mm-hmm. How well do they fit into the brand even? Like, is this the type of person we want to work with? Is this the type of person who our team, you know, wants to work with? Are they coachable? Are they, um, like, competitive? Are they passionate? Do they have all these qualities? And generally, it's, it's first, it's, like, skill. But there are a lot of players who are very, very good. And then after that, it comes down to fit, um, and the player's individual motivation as well. And how do you determine that? Do you bring them um, during normal times when we're not all stuck at home? But do you yeah. bring them in for interviews? Do you have them play on site? Or do you guys go out on the road? Or do people go out on the road if it's not you? Yeah, it's, it's not like... Um, so most of the time, the, the, everything can be done online technically. So you can have a, them join. Like if you have a player who's really performing well, and they play a certain role, and you think, okay, let's have them try out. Or you can even host open tryouts. I know that teams do that as well. Mm-hmm. And you just have them play with players on your, on your support staff or on your team and see how well they perform at different things. And then you can usually 
get from there to a point where you're serious about a couple candidates. Um, of course, competitive history makes a difference too. There's a big pool of talent who's already competing in different leagues and they become free agents and that's also an option. So, you know, it's like tested in a league, mm-hmm. this, this player. Um, yeah, there are different ways. It's one thing like I think that can be improved in general esports, just having, you know, in, in f- traditional sports, you have like feeder leagues, you have college leagues that you can really find new talent. Um, esports is not that developed yet, but I think I think it could get there. Have you ever gotten to be like part of the um, conversation when a player gets offered a spot? Yes. Yeah. How exciting is that? Because I it's think really these nice. players must freak out. Yeah, some of them, they get very excited. I, I also do a lot of calls with like parents, like, oh, which is kind of sweet. Like the moms that are worried so about them, cool. which is cool. But it's always cool to see like how excited they are, and um, yeah, and, and hopefully that they, you know, they feel like Team Liquid's a good org for them. Um, Forgive like me if this too. is a, a, a novice question because it definitely is. But um, <laughs> what about language? If you if you're recruiting people from all over the world, do you mm-hmm. have to have translators on site, or how does well, that work? Yeah, so a lot of English is spoken by a lot of like our European teams. There's like our Dota roster is three different countries, but they all speak English. Uh, we have Portuguese speaking teams in Brazil. They speak okay. Portuguese. Only on their roster, and they have Portuguese support staff. Um, same with we have some players in Japan, um, so they speak Japanese. They they speak Japanese and they have Japanese support staff. Um, so normally, we try to get English speaking if it's on an English speaking roster, but it's possible to have, you know, non English speaking teams. And I know other orgs have non English speaking teams. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would think that would be hard to like come from another culture, another country and join mm-hmm. a team and not speak literally the language. Yeah, it's different. Um, it's kind of like we talked about earlier about, you know, gaming being antisocial. I have a lot of my players who are like, I learned English from playing games. <laughs> like, and that's how I learned like about different cultures was through playing games. Um, and now they're on teams like speaking English, the English proficiently. Um, just from playing games online, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I was looking at the rosters when I was getting ready um, to talk Mm -hmm. to you, and it's very possible that I missed it, but I did not see any female players. Right. That's uh, unfortunate. We don't have any female players on our roster. So I was very surprised about that because I do feel like – I think maybe because in in doing this podcast and in playing – you know, Susan Grimshaw in, in my game, mm-hmm. I talked to so many female gamers. Yeah. Um, is that pretty common in esports teams for it to be totally male? Yes, it's it's competitive gaming. Competitive esports is male dominated. Uh, Cloud9 yesterday just announced the female Valorant team, which is pretty cool. Um, but certainly I think it's the norm. Oh, that's right. You guys play Valorant, right? Yeah, we have, a, we have a boy team, but uh, <laughs> Cloud9 announced a female team, which is cool. So do you think that the industry is ready to include more female competitive players? I mean, mm. is there is there like here, the NFL, right, National Football League, women are not allowed 
on on rosters. Mm-hmm. They I, there was a huge thing, and I'm going to get this wrong, but there was just a a female coach that went to one of the um, one of the NFL teams, and it was like a, a massive breakthrough mm-hmm. for a coach. But women can't play that game, and there are reasons for it that that they give about you know just the violent nature of the game and just the um, size difference. Probably. Size difference. Yeah. But but in gaming, I I would mm-hmm. think that that would be a great leveler. Yeah. I mean, this is um, a lot of people way smarter than me have had a lot of time studying this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just speaking from personal like feeling, um, but like the use like ready is industry ready in terms of readiness. Yeah. It's, I think it's just so big because we're talking about, first of all, just changing how we socialize kids in general. Right. If you have a boy who expresses an aptitude for athletics, they, they're generally identified really quickly and given like supporting, training, coaching, all this stuff to, and set up to succeed. And boys in general are encouraged to be very strong at sport, whereas girls don't necessarily get that, even girls who are really good at sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you, if you have boys who are being pushed to um, be good at sports, physical sports, you get these tiny experts say like neurological differences where then boys become better reflexes with practical physics, spatial reasoning, hand-eye coordination. And I think it's, it kind of translates into gaming too, because the argument I've always heard is like, well, boy, ma- male gamers are still like, they have better reflexes and better hand-eye coordination. But I think that's something that like, if you just socialize, <laughs> you know, make it more acceptable from a younger age, I think that I don't think that there's any basis for that. Right. It's um, not if it's you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, there's not a, a physical reason that men have uh, faster reflexes. It's mm-hmm. that when they showed a proficiency for gaming or tech, that they were given more encouragement and more time with it, their reflexes got faster, and it's harder for the women to catch up. I, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's how I feel. And that's what I mm-hmm. think. Don't know if that's true. It's completely mm-hmm. armchair guess, but that's, that's what I think. And then I do think that that's um, changing generally in sports too, where if it's, you know, if a girl who expresses a desire to be competitive, that's not, it's, you know, now it's taken a bit more seriously. Like I think it is getting a bit more support. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing also is just acceptance, like women and girls in esports, in in professional like gaming, but also like behind the scenes, they're generally... Uh, have an additional pressure of this idea that they have to perform because they are representing their gender and like essentially legitimizing their own existence in the space. Right. And I think that's just yes. extra pressure that maybe isn't given to males who are competing. Um, right. A woman out there in that field feels like she's carrying uh, all, like all of womanhood on her back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they don't think about it, but I think it is a pressure. Um there's actually like there's this show on Netflix right now called The Queen's Gambit. Have you heard of this? Oh uh, yes, we watched yeah. the we watched the first episode last night. Um, I love it so far. Um, but there's a scene where like I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's not a really big spoiler. But uh, you know no, she's go really good it. at chess, obviously. And she's yes, gonna go and beat some boys at chess in, in a man's space, right? And she's coming in proficient, and she doesn't really think about it. Like I'm a girl, I'm good. She just thinks about I want to be the best at chess. But what she does this interview with Time magazine and Time that once published, and then she's like, 
Well, they didn't talk about anything. Like they didn't talk about my training. They didn't talk about how I do the Sicilian defense. They didn't talk about, all they talked about was what I look like and that I'm a girl. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's like, I don't know, I, that really resonated with me because it's like, sometimes I feel like that too. <laughs> right. Like they don't, they don't really focus on like when you're, a, I was a woman in philosophy as well. And that was like also something that they always focus on. Oh, okay. Well, you're a female and you're studying this, this, and this. Okay. Well, why aren't you talking about like what I'm doing <laughs> instead of that I'm a woman, right? It's, it's interesting. It is interesting and really well said. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult because like on the one hand, like I do, there are some women's only events, uh, like Counter-Strike. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like tournaments? Yeah, tournaments. So they have a Counter-Strike. It's a first person shooter game. Um, there are women's only leagues and women's only teams. And these are probably like the best supported and operated women's only esports leagues. Which is cool because they have, you know, here's a platform where you can have women who get the support. They get a space to hone their skills. They have, they can perfect their skills. They can compete. Um, And it's, it's a bit safer than like putting a woman on a male team. Because if you put, or a a woman team in a male league, for example, because if you do that, there's a lot of that, you know, unwanted attention we spoke about. Um, I don't know that we spoke about the unwanted attention. So when you say safer, you think that they would get, when you say unwanted attention, are we talking about like bullying or are we talking about sexual harassment or all those things? I, I mean, more like the idea of like we talked about being under the microscope. Mm, like yes, that pressure. yes, yes. Yeah, that's more I was talking about. I think, I mean, that's a whole bullying harassment is a whole other podcast topic <laughs> yes um but yeah i'm speaking more from like the competitive stance of- so when you say safer you just mean i think what you when you say it's a safer environment for them i think you just mean that it's a place where they can really shine and celebrate and play hard without yeah. having to carry the fact that they're women uh and have that separate them as they're trying yeah. to play yeah okay that's what i mean yeah yeah no i <laughs> totally you. got you, now. <laughs> Thank you yeah 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 no i got you um yeah. And, and I, you know, I've, I've interviewed people who um, are streamers, really successful streamers who mm-hmm. say that when they play on their own and they're not streaming, um, they won't want to do voice commands because they yep. would just rather play a game, you know, with yep. a crew or a squad or whatever you guys call it. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly. and not and not have people draw attention to the fact like, oh, I like your voice or. Yeah, it's I do the same. Like I would just want to I'm just bad. So just call me bad. But don't be call me bad because I'm a girl. Like I'm just bad. <laughs> like, Come on. It, yeah, it's very uh, annoying. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of weird. The women's only because so you have this women's only league, which is great in some sense, but also like they're not getting the support. They're not getting the same prize money. I'm sure they're not getting the same sponsors. Not the same sponsors. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we want to show that we have some pageantry. Like here are the women. We're going to just show that, you know, they're a novelty. They're competing. They're good at games. We want to show them, but we're still going to keep them separate for the men who are where all the focus and prize money and competition is. So it it just feels sometimes it's like, I, I think about a lot and I don't know how I feel about it really. Um, yeah, you're in a really a very uh, interesting position there because you know you know from from um, from your own experience that there's no reason that women can't be playing in these leagues, right? And that mm-hmm. and that come on, like you know, are we going to have another industry where it's hard for for women to break in? Like when? Uh, how do we? 
how do we show the powers that be that it's not necessary to separate us like that? Yeah. And I don't have the answer. And I, I don't Me know neither. what it is. <laughs> but uh, it is an interesting question, at least. Yeah, it really is. Um, um, so I'm sure that you get a ton of people asking for advice breaking into the industry, not not to be uh, on the team, but to, to have jobs um, – just in esports. And I read an interview where I thought this was so great. You advise people to get really specific about their own skill sets, even if they're applying for an entry level job, not to just say, I want to do anything. Um, yeah. Why, why do you, why do you give that advice? Yeah. I think when you really want something, you're really tempted. Just like, I will do literally anything if I can be in esports. Like, I will be the janitor. I don't care. Like, anything. It's very tempting to, because that makes you sound like, like you're going to work hard, but it doesn't help me as a potential employer to be like, okay, but what do you want to do? Like, how can I help you get to where you want to be? I don't want to just make you be, you know, whatever job I can throw at you because you want anything. I want to see like what skill set you have. How can you fit? How do you fit in my team? That's just as important to me as having, you know, the desire to just do anything. Um, I think it's like most knowing even if it's like super basic like i i know i don't have a lot of experience in the industry but i know i love working with people and i have experience doing this this and this where i helped people whatever i would love to work with a team and that already like helps me to know okay this person wants to go in this track and i can i, I could use somebody like that and i could help them um and they would be happy <laughs> that's important to me too so right, yeah, that was, like, right because someone might say i'm happy to clean the floors but then when they get there that's not really what they want and right. then you've got so I think that is such fantastic advice really for any industry mm-hmm. um, not to just say I see myself in that industry and I'll do anything but to say here's what I have to offer it yeah yeah here's I what I bring it. to the table I'm really a good writer you know without having to say I want to be I want to be a writer or I want to do your press releases but just to say I, I'm looking for a job here's my skill set and this is what I can offer. And I love you guys, like whatever. But yeah, I think it's just, if I'm going to be hiring somebody, I want them to feel like fulfilled and that mm-hmm. what they're doing is important to them and that makes them happy because it's that's important to me. So yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is the most common misconception about working in esports? <laughs> um, what do I get a lot from people? It's always like, oh, like you must play games a lot. <laughs> or you must be like really good it's like dude i wish i had time to play games like i don't and a lot of time i mentioned before like i don't want to be at the pc all the time so like i try to do other things i think that's the biggest one right um right yeah. that you're just sitting around playing games for a living <laughs> yeah yeah it's like yeah i hardly do that i mean there are jobs that require that need that there are parts of esports that need that but not mine not my part um, right yeah. What do you think is the most challenging part of what you do? Um, I think the the creative challenge of learning every, like about each player and who they are as a person, and coming up with stuff that's unique and comfortable to them. Mm-hmm. It's challenging because you have to. Like we talked about before, there's so many different personalities and backgrounds that I really have to familiarize myself with. Um. Also, so they're comfortable with me, too. It's 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 difficult, but I I like it. Um, yeah, I think that's the hardest part. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that would be it. Would have to be because right people are not a puzzle. Like you you can't just 
figure them out without spending time and really getting mm. to know uh, what is important to them. All right. So I know that we've talked about a lot of stuff and we said that, like, obviously you don't have the power to fix your industry or make it more <laughs> or anything. But let's yeah. say that you did. Let's say mm. that you could influence the whole future of esports. What would that What would that look like? If you could influ- influence the direction it moves, what would it look like? And what's really important to you uh, in your industry? Mm, I think to me, it's just as esports being like a legitimate co- uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, like I see a lot of, like people do understand now that, okay, esports, there's this world, it's called esports, it's competitive and professional, but can you believe the salary? Like these guys get salaries and they play games all day. Like I just, you hear this beat all the time in the media and I'm just tired of it. Um, and I think it's like undermining a lot of the endeavor that we do as people who are passionate about the scene. I, I just really want to see that, like, just be taken a bit more seriously. And then, of course, with that, like, from my perspective, just having, like, unions, <laughs> I think that so, so plays into legitimacy. So, like, player unions, talent unions, employee unions. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I mean, we talked a bit about, like, I got burnt out. Maybe I don't want other people to have that either. Maybe something like a union would help that they feel secure in their job and they feel comfortable and they know like responsibilities, they have a wage, they have time off, they have healthcare, all this stuff. Um, Maybe not a very sexy answer, but that's that's what I think. Actually, I'm sitting here with my jaw dropped because I I love that answer because you can't fix everything. You can't make sure everyone gets time off, but a union can. Mm. I mean, I'm a very proud union member. And uh, when I was young, I shared um, my apartment with my best friend. She was a model and I was an actress. And the difference between what we could expect when we went to work was huge because models Mm. were not unionized. So they could keep her there incredibly late. They could ask her to put um, actual motor oil in her hair because they thought that that would look really good. And there was no one there to make sure that what she was doing was safe and fair um, Damn. Yeah. That must have been interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it really made me realize at a young age that that a union... That that a union protects me in ways that I can't protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I love this answer. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And that, you know, and that is something that... That that you can have some effect on by talking to the right people. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, as I'm hoping, I'm hoping, like, I, I see it happening. I see it in the works, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it is very important. I think so, too. And I think you are, um, I, I think you are a, a great advocate for a union movement. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. It's, yeah. Um, okay, so as we're winding down here, I want to ask you, um, since since we've talking about how everything is a team and it's really about people and we know that you can't uh, really accomplish anything in this world all by yourself, I would love to give you an opportunity to tell me about a time in your life or in your career when somebody recognized something special in you and gave you an opportunity to shine. Yeah, I think um, our founder is a guy called Victor Hussens. Hussens, sorry, I pronounced it really badly. He's going to make fun of me later. Uh, he's he's a um, Dutch guy and he founded the company and he's become like super great mentor to me. And I think um, when I started, I was like in esports, I was kind of part-time just doing 
my own thing. And he was the one to kind of recognize that, you know, this seems like somebody who's really passionate and kind of smart. So maybe I should give her opportunities to do other things where she can shine and share her opinion. And I'm interested to hear like what she has to say. So I think um, it might, he gave me an opportunity to move to the Netherlands uh, many years ago. And I think I'm super grateful for that. And that was somebody recognizing me and I, and I yeah, super appreciative of him. And he's really great um, for supporting me. That's fantastic. And it sounds to me like that was a really good gamble on his end. He saw something and you have more than delivered. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I hope he feels that way. Yeah, thanks. Well, I have really enjoyed my time with you today. I'm, I, I feel like I love being in what I call learning mode. And so coming <laughs> into this conversation, knowing so little, um, I, I feel like I learned so much. And it just, um, your passion for what you do has made me just kind of want to seek out um, more information about esports. That's super cool. I'm glad to hear that. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Brittany. Yeah, thank you so much. It was super fun. It was super fun. I really, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the world getting back to normal and coming to one of these competitions as your guest. Yeah, <laughs> please, please. I would love to uh, send you to something. Yeah, I would love it. All right, well, have a fantastic day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was so interesting, and I seriously cannot wait until the world is ready for in-person events so I can see Team Liquid play live. Brittany would love to encourage our listeners to keep an eye on Team Liquid social media for any team-related news or to keep up to date with their tournaments. You can find links for Brittany and Team Liquid social media in the show notes. And be sure to check out thegamers.com for exclusive bonus questions with Brittany and all our other amazing Let's Play guests. Thanks for listening. Let's Play was brought to you by The Gamers, a community that connects all types of women gamers and welcomes every human who supports this. Let's Play was produced by Kylie Vernoff and co-produced by The Gamers team. Laura Deutsch, Rebecca Dixon, Verda Maloney, Heather Awita, and Alexis Wilcock, with sound design done by Frank Verderosa. Please visit thegamers.com for show notes to access exclusive bonus material and to learn more about The Gamers community. And we'd so appreciate if you subscribed and gave us a five-star review. Thanks again for listening.